0: This is an Odyssey Original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer.
1: And I'm Elsa in for Charles Feldman today. A conservative rebellion in the House. They are voting right now whether or not to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We're going to go in-depth and uh, explore this and see what happens next in Congress.
0: A big national test set for tomorrow, but don't worry, you won't miss it and you can't fail Ooh, those kind of tests I like. Also, there is a plan to shoot and kill a lot of deer on Catalina Island. We'll explain why.
1: But we're going to start with the conservative uprising in the House that could cost Speaker Kevin McCarthy his title. Laura Litvin is a congressional pol- uh, politics reporter for Bloomberg News. She is at the Capitol right now. We're we're essentially, um, Laura, watching some political history right now. Uh, members of Congress are voting whether or not to oust Kevin McCarthy. This this would and and this is not an understatement. Be kind of political history, because this will be a first time a uh, a speaker would be ousted in the middle of a congressional term. Just really unprecedented. That's when the word really does fit this time. What what do you think is going to happen, and what will happen if they do vote to do this?
2: This is an extremely chaotic day. Um, this morning, you know. Speaker McCarthy was offered by Democrats to make some concessions to them to get some support from their side. And he rejected that. And um, the uh, minority leader, Hakeem Jeff- Jeffries, put out a statement right before the House convened for some votes at 1:30, calling on Democrats to um, stick together and um, vote to uh, push him out. And uh, so this is. You know, McCarthy had two days to make a decision about when he wanted to bring this up and he went straight into it, uh, clearly not knowing whether he had the votes. He pointed out himself, it only takes five Republicans if Democrats stick together to push him out. And uh, he acknowledged that there could be more than five at the time, even though at the same time, he insisted that he's a survivor and he thinks that maybe he could survive all this. What we've had so far is a vote uh, to table an effort to push him out by Representative Matt Gates of Florida, uh, the leader of the rebellion. And um, the vote, 11 Republicans voted against tabling this, setting it aside and pushing it a- away so that it never really came to a vote. And so in, right now the House is beginning to vote on the actual motion to push McCarthy out.
0: And for Matt Gaetz, uh, win or lose, uh, he kind of wins here, right? Because what he's doing, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is basically grabbing a political spotlight because he's thinking about running for something else. So this is fundraising, right?
2: It does uh, give him that potential benefit. He is, he's denied that he's running for governor in Florida, but there's some uh, talk of that. Uh, he has been fundraising off of this in the last day or so. Um, Whether or not he wins or loses isn't entirely clear because I can tell you that there are discussions going on among bipartisan discussions about perhaps changing the rule that gives him so much power, which allows just one member to call a vote to oust the speaker Uh, to vacate the chairs is what it's called. And um, there's a growing disgust among Republicans, about 200 are behind McCarthy in the House, uh, about this rule. And there's some discussions going on among uh, a bipartisan group of House members to maybe try to change that. So we'll have to see if that really gains some ground.
1: But McCarthy did agree to a condition to make it possible for a single member uh, of Congress uh, to motion to oust him. And that was made apparently during Mm -hmm. the times that it took to finally elect him as Speaker of the House, 15 rounds of voting in Congress. So uh, he was actually part of that plan.
2: That's absolutely correct. And he did that with the knowledge that this is caused the same type of rule caused another speaker, John Boehner, to step aside in 2015 uh, when someone, Mark Meadows at the time, uh, House member, filed the same motion, just simply a threat of it caused Boehner to eventually just step aside.
0: All right. So much- uh, go ahead. Continue.
2: No, that's OK. I was going to say that there's just so much uncertainty if this vote that they're taking right now were to push McCarthy out of the speakership. And we don't know that it's possible that some of those 11 Republicans are going to change their votes and just kind of wanted that threat to hang over McCarthy for another hour or maybe get some concessions from him later. If, um, if he is pushed out by this vote, we could see more balloting, more deals struck, just like last time. Mm. Uh, There's also a lot of uncertainty. Uh, The, uh, there is the ability apparently to have uh, a pro tem speaker pro tem established in the house where it could it could continue its work mccarthy apparently has a list of um people who could hold that role and politico reported yesterday that he's put himself at the top of that list but if he's, if he's not the speaker does he have the ability to draw upon that list at all and this is really uncharted territory we've never had this type of motion succeed and we we may soon uh have this all play out it's worth noting that if he's pushed out, we have a November 17th deadline for a possible government shutdown. It was just pushed uh, oh. over the weekend to that date. So Ukraine aid, border right. Uh, issues, all that stuff is hanging over without potentially a speaker to help guide it. Okay. And Moody's Investor Service also has raised concerns about the lack of leadership going on in Washington. Well,
0: we have to leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, Laura Litvin, is a congressional politics reporter for Bloomberg News at the Capitol right now. Votes underway to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy.
1: The vote to remove Kevin McCarthy from the House Speakership is going on as we speak. Members of Congress giving a voice vote in this situation We're joined by Mark Sandelow, political analyst with the University of California Center in Washington, D.C. Mark, thank you for being with us.
3: Good afternoon, Elsa. Uh,
1: So uh, we talked about this before in the previous segment, how how truly unprecedented this would be if uh, if a sitting speaker in the middle of a congressional term is ousted first time in history. This is political history. We we are watching here. If this does happen, would this set a precedent for every other speaker moving forward? And what happens now? What's the next step if he is ousted? All
3: right. So so what happens is actually a, a shocking to me. I mean, I've been covering Washington for decades now. I didn't know this until I went into the rules that if he is ousted, um, I, I knew this much that without a speaker, the only thing the House can do is fine to speaker. So they will vote over and over and over again until somebody gets a majority of the votes. Kevin McCarthy, of course, would still be the front runner as He tries to, you know, twist arms, maybe even break a few arms to get some of those people who vote against him to get him back. But, but here's the part I had never heard before. The the, the vice, the the, the speakers in the line of succession to the presidency, you know, after the president and the vice president, if something were to happen to them, it's the speaker of the house who's president. So uh, Congress passed a law about a decade ago. The sitting speaker, Kevin McCarthy, has a secret list, which he has given to the clerk of the house. The clerk of the house, if he's voted out in the next 20 minutes, will reveal who that temporary speaker is. Now, that temporary speaker only has two roles. One is to preside over the vote for the new speaker and the other is to become president if, God forbid, something would to happen to the president and the vice president. I, again, just underscores, I mean, this is like a constitutional issue that has simply never come up before.
0: All right. Kevin McCarthy's superpower appears to be ability to withstand humiliation because he went through all those votes to become the speaker and uh, you had to feel bad for the guy uh, because obviously he had to tamp dance uh, like his life depended on it to, to finally win uh, the last of those votes, if he gets ousted here and, and right now it's kind of looking like he is going to be out. Uh, what does his future in politics look like?
3: So, so here's the most likely scenario, and I know it seems to make no sense. The most likely scenario at this point, and I'm just watching here, it's 96 for ouster, 94 against. But they have to get the 435. So we're a long ways away. Um, he he uh, most likely he gets ousted and then he wins the fight to be the next speaker. So it would only be a temporary ousting. I mean, and it goes back to Elsa's question about, can we expect this will be the norm? No, because this is an extremely rare circumstance where one, the house is almost exactly evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans. And two, you've got a group of Republicans led by Matt Gaetz in Florida from compromise is just not an option. You know, Nancy Pelosi had a very similar situation in the sense that she had a very equally divided house and there were people on her left aoc for example who did not want her to be speaker they didn't think that she was liberal enough they didn't think she pushed liberal ideas pelosi had either the skill or the credibility or the lock to go to her left flank and say to them look i come from san francisco trust me when i tell you this is as far left as we can do trust me this is all we can get and she kept her left flank in order McCarthy's got no such credibility with his conservative flank.
1: Although he has gone on air in multiple shows many, many times over the last few days, saying he's he's not worried about it. It is what it is. If I am ousted, so be it. Um, but he seems to be I don't pretty. Ca- yeah, he's I was just gonna. I agree. He he seems to be overly casual about it. But the fact of the matter is, eleven Republicans did vote against tabling the issue and agree to move forward. Our last guest, I think, rightfully pointed out, Laura Litvin, congressional politics reporter for Bloomberg, said that those 11 Republicans could be holding out to try to get some things that they want from him before they switch their votes to keep him as Speaker of the House. But that's still a, a long way off from it, being it able is, to say.
3: And what we've heard Matt Gates say, who's the, 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 the leader of this group, anti-McCarthy group, he, he comes from the Florida panhandle, is... It doesn't matter what he says. He's a liar. I mean, it's unbelievable the, the words he's saying against his own party's leader. He says he already promised us things to become speaker. He promised us that there would be certain types of votes. There'd be certain procedures in the house that we would and we wouldn't do. And he simply hasn't kept those promises. He's lying. So I don't believe him if he says that now. And I won't believe it, you know, because he broke his promises in the past. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had. 11 Democrats who voted against her to nominate her as speaker, that, that 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 can happen. But once you throw the matter out to the full House, uh, the only, McCarthy still has the support of 90% of all the Republicans. The problem is, with no Democrats voting in favor of him, with such a thin margin for Republicans in the House, all it takes right now is five Republicans to vote against him. And if no Democrats come to his rescue and Democrats do not want to come to his rescue, Uh, He's out, at least for now. But again, it could be in the next 20 minutes. If he's voted out, this is something that's never happened before. And the House is paralyzed. They can do literally nothing else until they name a new speaker.
0: All right. Mark Sandelow, thank you so much. Political analyst with the University of California Center in Washington, D.C. Right now, though, if you don't already know about tomorrow's nationwide emergency alert system test, you will because it will be hitting your phones, your TVs, your radios. With us now to talk about it, Joseph Trainer from the University of Delaware's Disaster Research Center. He studies disaster warning systems. Thanks for joining us. No problem, great. So this test is going to shock all of us, but it is a necessary thing to do, right, because of how much technology is changing.
4: Absolutely. It's it's really important that we do these kinds of tests to make sure that we understand that the systems work. And so so I, I also study the people to help people understand what they're going to get and, and what how they might respond to it.
1: You know, with all the technology we have, iPads, cell phones, the Apple watches, you know, et cetera, we are expected to get the warnings on all of these devices, are we not?
4: So I think I don't necessarily know that you're going to get them on all those devices. So I think if they're connected to cellular connections, I think we, you would expect to get them. Definitely the cell phones themselves. If you have a newer device, and and by you know, and and then you should definitely also see that message on TV and radio signals. So it's going out in two different ways. So I think you're going to see it on a lot of things, but I think I don't I don't know that it's going to be every device.
0: Yeah, and. You know, that is an important point to think about because we are using our devices for so many different things now. And more of us are watching streaming and not necessarily live streaming. Like, you know, like I'm watching uh, the local channels on YouTube TV. I might be streaming a movie on Netflix. If an emergency, a national emergency happens, we need to know about it. If I'm watching Netflix, I'm not going to know unless they work it out so it comes through my phone. That's going to be my only means of being warned.
4: Absolutely. It's really important. Cell phones are, are a big part of our lives now, and it's it's a great way to get you the information you need to be able to make good decisions about risks around you.
1: You know, I know how people react if they have iPhones when they get that really jarring alert, like, of a, you know, an amber alert or a senior alert or something like that, or a weather alert. I feel like sometimes people may become desensitized sometimes to some of these alerts because... We are getting them off and almost like how car alarms have become like people hear them going off and and I don't see anybody reacting to that. Is that a concern moving forward when you yeah, have a, to alert people?
4: Yeah, this is something that we, we talk about a lot in in warning circles. Sometimes we even call it the cry wolf effect. Right. So so we're trying to work where we really are worried about over warning people I think that uh, it's not always as big of a problem as people think it is, though. I think I think you've got to think of it this way: even in the even in the best circumstances, as people, we've got a process risk information and we have to make decisions. So, so no matter how good the warning system is, you're still going to do that. Think about the last time you were in a building and the, the the fire alarm went off. You didn't run for the door. You looked around to see what's going on. You tried to make sense of it. Do you smell smoke? Do you? So that's the same kind of thing that's going to happen yourself. phone. the idea is to grab your attention. To let you know there's something you should focus on and then you're going to have to use your good sense to process that information and figure out what to do uh, for yourself.
0: You know, that's interesting because uh, when we get, like, fire alarms in our building here, you've got a bunch of radio people. And uh, we we are brain damaged in a way because we get these alerts about getting out, save yourselves. We're kind of like, no, I'm sitting on the air because this is a huge story. I'm not going to miss it. Uh, so you have people like that. But uh, you don't think we're anywhere near testing and, uh, these tests uh, too much, right?
4: We've, I don't think so. We don't have these nationwide tests that often. No, this is, this is one of just a handful of these tests, so, so the number of these, I think this is the eighth, I think it's the eighth, it's somewhere in that range it's that, that we've had full-scale national, and, the, and this is a really important test in that we've ha- we have lots of these alerts in smaller spaces, smaller geographies, but we don't have a lot to go all the way across the nation, so if something really catastrophic were to happen, and, the, and the, we needed to be communicated across, we need to make sure that that technology is going to work right? But not th- th- that we can work at that scale. So it's, it's important to be able to test the system and make sure the technology works. And again, it's good for people to know how these systems are going to come to them. It might speed up that process of figuring out what it is and what you should do about it.
0: All right, Joseph Trainer, thank you so much for joining us uh, from the University of Delaware's Disaster Research Center studies disaster warning systems about tomorrow's big nationwide emergency alert system test.
1: You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today.
0: We are uh, monitoring this vote in the House right now to kick out Kevin McCarthy from his speakership role. And when the vote ramps up, we will have the result for you right here on KNX.
1: But here at home, deer are apparently becoming such a nuisance on Catalina Island. There's a plan to hire sharpshooters to hunt and kill them, nearly 2,000 of them. And it sounds really harsh. There is definitely opposition, but... Some conservationists say it's necessary. With us now is Lauren Denhart, Senior Director of Conservation at the Catalina Island Conservancy. Thank you so much for being with us, Lauren.
5: Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for covering this issue.
1: Well, of course. um, So the Conservancy has proposed hunting the invasive mule deer from helicopters. And it, it, it sounds heartless, but you're saying that you have to address this issue because there are devastating consequences that are being brought to the island right now, not just because of the deer, but rising temperature and drought. I mean, climate change, how do they all tie together?
5: That's a great question. The deer problem is everything on Catalina. It impacts fire safety, deer health and well-being, and the natural balance of the island. Um, So deer were introduced to Catalina in 1929. And since then, they've had issues with overpopulation, and that's intensifying with climate change. On Catalina Island, our deer are at eight to 10 times the density as they are on the mainland. And we've been attempting a hunting program for the last 25 years to manage these species, but it just hasn't been sufficient. So essentially, the deer have been killed and hunted for a very long time and are suffering. They go into town, have interactions with people and pets that are fairly aggressive because they're starving right now. All so right. it's a, it does sound harsh, but really it's one of the most humane options that we have available.
0: And I'm going to ask you about that because, you know, for the, the people who say you're killing Bambi's mom, uh, why is there not a more humane way of doing this?
5: It's a great question. So we've been consulting with animal welfare groups since the beginning of this project using this um, 2017 paper that was published called the International Consensus Principles for Ethical Wildlife Control. And essentially, you just don't want to have too many interactions with a deer, because when you capture a deer, they undergo something called capture myopathy, which is essentially like having a really terrible heart attack that results in a much more painful and slow death. Um, So from our perspective, if you end up capturing the deer, um, if you send them off the island, what you end up having is the same outcome of of most of these deer dying. But... Instead, they have a much more painful death associated with it.
1: Okay, and you're also saying too that they're disrupting the balance of the natural ecosystem of the island as well, which is going to further uh, cause problems with fires in the future.
5: Yes, Um, so if you heard about what happened on Maui, that was really caused by invasive annual grasslands. So the deer selectively eat the things that are the most unique and special to the island and turn these ecosystems into these invasive annual grasslands, which lead to much more frequent and intense fires. Um, So Catalina's at risk and Avalon's at risk without us taking this management action. Um, So it's really important that we address this soon as climate change intensifies. And in the end, fewer deer will suffer. Like I mentioned, we've been running a hunting program for 25 years now. And in the last 10 years, the same amount of deer have died via recreational hunting.
0: Okay, uh, we're running out of time here, but before we let you go, I want to read this to you. We reached out to the Catalina Island Humane Society. They are opposed to this plan to kill the deer, but uh, nobody was apparently available to talk to us at the time. Now, the vice president of the Humane Society there did tell the LA Times that the conservancy solution is violent and ugly. Your response?
5: I understand her. I mean, it's a hearing about it is just like a gut reaction. And I, I did meet with the Humane Society a few months ago to to really do them the courtesy of letting them know about this project. Um, it's just it's just challenging for people. It's a nuanced issue. Um, nobody wants to do this. I got into conservation because I love plants and animals. Um, so you can only imagine what this is like. But. Catalina is home to 60 plants and animals that you find nowhere else in the world and they're at risk right now and the deer are not doing well. So essentially right now it's the island versus the deer and they're both losing and we're trying to come up with a solution.
0: Lauren Denhardt, thank you so much. Uh, Senior Director of Conservation at the Catalina Island Conservancy.
1: You know, one one other footnote to this story, Rob, I don't know if you know, but at one point mountain lions were suggested to be brought to the island to take care of the deer population.
0: What could possibly go not, wrong? What could,
1: you know, that would take <laughs> care of the entire population, period, of the island. Yeah, definitely not a good alternative. We are uh, keeping an eye, as we said, uh, on... On the House wrapping up the vote, it, they just wrapped it up. Yeah, and it looks like he's out. He is
0: Kevin McCarthy's out. Out.
1: out. Oh, wow. U.S. history made right now. First ever House speaker to be voted out of the position. The vote was led by conservative Republicans in the House. And with us now is Republican strategist, Rena Shaw. Rena, your reaction to this breaking news?
6: Wow. What a shock to the system. I mean, truly, I can't overstate how historic this is. Hasn't been... It in 100 years plus that a vote like this has even been called. It shows you the level of distrust Kevin McCarthy had from his own colleagues. Uh, Even moderates um, like Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina said that she voted yes on the motion to vacate because she also believes it's about trust. So you've got people across the spectrum who have directed their ire at this now former Speaker of the House. And he is not egg on his face. People say rightfully so. I'm sure at the top of this year, when he made it through 15 ballots to become Speaker, he could have never guessed that this vote would have come so fast and so soon.
0: Although there were some who said that it would because he handed them uh, a gun, and he handed them bullets to put in the gun and then, especially coming down towards the end, kind of dared them to shoot him with his metaphorical gun to oust him from the speaker position. This is obviously a win for the Trump-supporting far-right Freedom Caucus, and uh, although Donald Trump himself has been very loath to weigh in on whether or not Kevin McCarthy needs to stay or needs to go. Uh, but is this a win for the Republican Party in general or is just another shot in the foot?
6: This is a complete loss. the Republican Party, because what this has done is shaken the confidence of its electorate. Whether you're for Donald Trump or not, it doesn't matter. Americans have been looking at Congress as not being able to represent them for quite some time, as being dysfunctional for quite some time. And that attitude has really uh, hit a fever pitch within the Republican electorate. And that's why I submit to you, Donald Trump was elected, because people were frustrated with what they call establishment types like Kevin McCarthy. They felt that he was... As part of this sort of fat cat big brigade that just got rich off of Washington, off of their public service. Uh, look, this is a guy that when I was a young staffer in 2008, I, I watched him be ambitious, and I knew that his eye was on the Speakership for a long time. Some some 13 years ago, there was a book put out called Young Guns, and on its cover was Congressman Eric Cantor, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, and Congressman Paul Ryan. And what we saw was Cantor was ousted by populist forces. Speaker Ryan was sent into early retirement, and now today... This is not just a blemish on the face of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy's ouster is the biggest black mark there could be in modern Republican history.
1: Now, apparently uh, we found out and we were talking about it with a previous guest uh, weighing in before the vote was done that Kevin McCarthy apparently has a secret list of people who could potentially take over this position in the interim. Um, Who do you think would be on that list? The most natural choice would be Congresswoman Elise Stefanik,
6: a millennial from upstate New York who has been also very ambitious and been called an opportunist as well. She leads the GOP caucus in the House, and uh, there is a sense that she would maybe have a a steady hand at the wheel, uh, show some degree of continuity, maybe an adult in the room type of thing. It's been called the burn-it-all caucus before. And the Burn It All Caucus is a different caucus than who I'm talking about that the Stefanic essentially leads. She is, again, the leader of the full caucus of the House Republicans, but it's a very fractured Republican party within the U.S. House of Representatives. And that Burn It All Caucus, Burn It All Downcock, excuse me, is led by Matt Gates, the congressman from Florida that led to today's historic vote. Uh, so these guys want to see the moderate establishment types Hey. And again, with Elise Stefanik being sort of the natural choice to succeed uh, McCarthy, that's all fine and well. But there is a lot there are a lot of folks within the House Freedom Caucus that want to see one of theirs make it to the top to lead the Republicans within the House. And it's been said before that maybe it was time to take it all to the ashes in order to the re- rebuild the Republican presence within the House.
0: All right, so what's next for Kevin McCarthy? Uh, obviously, more humiliation for him, but he seems to have an unending capacity to withstand it. Uh, does he want to run again? Because they've got to, they've got to select a new House speaker. Uh, does he try to get that spot again?
6: I think right now it's a little too early to tell. Uh, we have to let the shock wear off because folks have thought maybe today's vote just may, even though the Democrats had had caucused for two hours this morning and said, we're not going to save McCarthy. Uh, We're not going to save him and give him the speakership. There was a sense that maybe the vote could go differently, that maybe there could be a way that if some people didn't show up or maybe people changed their minds at the last moment. Of course, the whipping operation uh, until the, uh, the last minute told us that McCarthy was doomed. And so I think what we see here is a moment in which Republicans have to put their heads together and truly figure out what's next. We just don't know what that is right in this moment. They just averted what would have been a 22nd government shutdown in five decades. And that was averted by Democrats coming together to help McCarthy uh, do that and and avert the shutdown. But again, it was just for 45 days. So there's just so much in the mix right now. There's so much happening. It's really hard to tell who is at the wheel with the Republicans. It's just not McCarthy anymore.
1: Well, McCarthy, uh, we talked about this a little bit leading up in the days leading up. Up to this vote right now, had seemed uh, casually cool about whether or not he was going to be ousted. He said things like, you know, so be it. Uh, I'm confident I will hold on. He even went on the Sunday morning political shows, uh, Face the Nation in particular, and even boldly blamed Democrats for nearly shutting down the government, even though Democrats voted overwhelmingly to extend the government funding. Uh, are all of these these things factors? In what we 're seeing happening right now,
6: of course they are it's it's a multi pronged effort that took us to where we got to today with uh, the speaker no longer in the speakership. This is um not only a blow to kevin 's ego uh, this is truly something that rocks that California cool casualness that we've seen him wear for decades. So, uh, what's really at play here is essentially um, how we see Republicans leave themselves out of a hole. You know, it's no good to have this much infighting uh, in advance of a year in which the Republicans want to take back the White House from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So this is, um, this is really hard. How to game it out from here, we don't know, but what we know now is that we are still sitting at such a hyper-polarized era where, despite what happened with the shutdown and it being averted, uh, there is still very much a playbook that says demonize the Democrats uh, because it's to score political points in this era. And I just don't see that changing.
0: And uh, Matt Case taking his turn in the spotlight here. uh, Obviously, he's going to enjoy it for as long as he can. uh, But he's moving on, right? Uh, The the rumor is he's going to run for the governorship of Florida
6: came up in Florida politics uh, alongside his father. And I remember when he was a member of the uh, state legislature there, he behaved much the same. He's always been uh, not just ambitious, but a rebel rouser, somebody that wants to be a contrarian. And, and that's the Matt Gates who's also Seeking to build a, a more of a celebrity profile off of his time in Congress. You see his love for the cameras. You see that he doesn't have much of a desire to actually legislate, um, to really have those policy... Uh, conversations and discussions that are robust, you see that he goes really for the culture wars. And what he's seen um, is that it's actually worked well for Ron DeSantis as the top executive of Florida. So I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Gates has his eye on the governor's mansion there in Tallahassee. But look, time can tell. I think right now what we know is that <laughs> Matt Gates is responsible for the Republicans eating their own in Congress. And this is
1: just truly truly stalking. Uh, indeed. All right. A strategist, Republican strategist, Rena Shaw, stand by. We have Luis DiCipio, political analyst and a political science professor at UC Irvine here on the line to weigh in on this. Uh, once everyone has passed the shock, uh, Professor, what what is next now for the person who is going to serve as a temporary speaker overseeing now a new election and how much power are they going to have?
7: Oh, I think the the Speaker pro tem will have very little power except for sort of procedural power. Um, the real effort will be to identify somebody who wants to uh, uh, assume the speakership right now. And that's a very difficult uh, challenge for, for any member of Congress. Um, we don't know if uh, Congressman McCarthy is going to uh, seek the office again. And then who in the Republican caucus would be open to working under these conditions?
0: Very quick question before we run out of time. Uh, Has the GOP lost the House?
7: Uh, This is a a knife in their back uh, and and sort of a self-imposed knife in their back. Uh, They have, uh, 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 you know, sort of uh, 13 to 16 seats that they're very worried about uh, in the 2024 elections. This is very hard for any of those members to hold on to those seats uh, when the Republican caucus itself cannot fulfill its responsibilities in one of the most important branches of government. Um, Yeah, no, I think the Republicans are facing some challenges in 2024 that they didn't have two weeks ago.
1: So, I mean, would Kevin McCarthy actually throw his hat into the ring after all of this?
7: You know, um, Kevin McCarthy um, has long desired to be speaker, um, and I think he's shown some some modest skills in that role, at least in negotiating with the executive branch. Um, the the challenge is that there aren't many others who can be elected that want the job. So I think McCarthy may be pressured by uh, members of his caucus um, to. Perhaps assume the office um, under under some different rules. The challenge is, well, you know, the hard right accept that, and the evidence is no. They they were pretty clear today that they just don't like Kevin McCarthy.
0: And what's next for uh, Kevin McCarthy? Let's say he doesn't want to uh, assume the role of speakership again. Is his political career over, or does he uh, step back for a couple of years and come back try to do something else?
7: My suspicion, it would be it would be the latter that, um, you know, he's shown a real commitment to the House of Representatives, I think, to a slightly different house than he has now. Um, he's you know, not uh, been as strong a speaker as he, he should have been over the last six months but he was working with the conditions that he was given um, with a slightly different house in a few years he might be in a better position I certainly don't see him moving into different positions in California politics that wouldn't be very uh, responsive to uh, to a Republican at the moment um, and you know I guess over time he might follow the path of his, his two predecessors as Republican speakers um, and move into the lobbying sector but uh, he He's shown a commitment to the House. And I think we'll we'll see that commitment for a while.
1: Our Republican strategist, Rena Shaw, thought that maybe Elise Stefanik would be uh, on Kevin McCarthy's secret list of people who could take his place temporarily. Who do you think? And I'm oh, sorry, we don't have much time left, but your thoughts on that?
7: yeah and I don't think it would be temporary. I think the 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 commitments that the Republicans make in this next election will be through the election because they realize that any um you know uh, another shift like this would just would further damage their position for
0: oh, well. We got part of an answer from him. Uh, I tell you what, we you have witnessed history today. The ousting of a House speaker, something that uh, hasn't happened before. Kevin McCarthy now will uh, have some time to think about what he wants to do next, including the possibility, as you heard from a couple of our guests there, uh, which included a Republican strategist, Rena Shaw, and also... Uh, uh, our Louis Decipio coming on with us. And he might even think about throwing his hat in the ring. Maybe, maybe not, to be the House Speaker again. Witnessing history here and covered it live on KNX. That's it for In-Depth today.